Warning, Seriously Strange covers topics that may frighten or disturb you. Viewer discretion is advised. You think it'd be impossible in modern society for a person to die and go completely unnoticed, but you'd be quite wrong about that. This week, my friend Matthew Santoro joins me while we examine... Ten gruesome bodies discovered years after death. An old woman who turned people away with expected results. Geneva Chambers was in her 60s when she suddenly went missing from the public eye. Neighbors remembered her as an angry woman who would often shout at people who got too close to her property, telling them to go away. And this worked for her. It drove people away. So when Geneva passed away inside of her home, no one would come around to check on her to see if she was okay for fear of being yelled at. Eventually, her lawn grew tall and unruly, and neighbors believed she had abandoned the home. Eventually, a lawn maintenance worker noticed Geneva's sliding glass door ajar, and upon investigating, found Geneva's decomposing body in her bed, surrounded by cobwebs. It's believed she had been dead for three years. It's also speculated that Geneva had shunned her own family for reasons unknown, and she got exactly what she wanted. She died alone. It was supposed to be a regular routine check for the police, but it turned out to be anything but that. Tanya Slayton was pulled over on Interstate 64 in June of 2015 when police realized that she had been driving a vehicle with an expired license. Once walking towards the car, officers noticed a strong and unusual smell coming from the trunk of the vehicle. Tanya insisted that she had placed clothing in the back of her trunk and that it wasn't anything worth checking out. A large white stain behind the driver's seat was easily noticeable from her windows, making the officers incredibly suspicious of possible criminal activity. The officers opened the trunk when they found the body of a child wrapped in two garbage bags. Tanya was charged with concealment of a dead body and is currently being held in the Hampton Roads Regional Jail. An autopsy of the body identified the remains of Tanya's young son, Quincy Jamar David, a 7th grade student that had been attending Virginia Beach Middle School when he was last seen in 2004. The body of Quincy Davis had been trapped in the trunk of his mother's vehicle for over 10 years. Quincy would have just turned 25 this year. An investigation continues into the case. Though he may have appeared to be happy, he was anything but that behind closed doors. David Carter was a well-liked real estate agent living in Milwaukee. In 2007, David told friends and family that he was planning on moving on his own to New Mexico and would keep in touch after the move. Relatives soon lost touch with David after they failed to hear back from him. Over four years passed before police finally entered his home. Bills began to pile up and mail was eventually discontinued from being sent to David's house until police discovered the remains belonging to David on the second floor of his home in January of 2012. An autopsy was conducted, indicating the cause of death to be suicide after David shot himself in the head with a handgun. Upon contacting relatives, family members stated that David fell into a depression and began drinking after the death of his mother, Joanne, 
1997. Losing communication with her friends and family could have been the worst mistake she ever made. Joyce Carol Vincent was a British citizen living on her own in a studio apartment in Woodgreen, London. Due to personal complications revolving around domestic abuse, Joyce began cutting her ties with friends and family, eventually losing all communication with every single person in her life. In February 2003, Joyce moved to a studio flat that was owned by Metropolitan Housing, a company that housed victims of abuse. Friends and family failed to notice what was happening in Joyce's life, giving her plenty of space, not knowing if she was dead or alive. On January 25, 2006, police entered the flat and discovered the remains of Joyce, lying with a shopping bag next to her. Her television was still on when she was found. An autopsy concluded that Joyce died in December of 2003. The skeletal remains made it difficult to indicate the cause of death. However, investigators believe she may have died from an asthma attack. As mysterious as they were, they never left each other's sides, even in death. Andrew and Anthony Johnson were 63-year-old twins living together in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and were notorious for being private people who rarely left their homes. Many neighbors reported not knowing their names and occasionally spotted the elderly brothers doing maintenance work on the side of their house. With little to no information, the community lacked to acknowledge the disappearance of both men. On March 29, 2014, police were sent to check on Andrew and Anthony after a relative attempted to contact the brothers but failed to hear back. Once entering the property, officers discovered the remains of both Andrew and Anthony sitting together in their living room recliners. Officers reported seeing pieces of flesh hanging on to the remains. Autopsies on the twins indicated that foul play was not a result of their deaths. Both Andrew and Anthony Johnson died together in approximately 2011, sitting beside each other for three years after their deaths. Sometimes it's difficult to let go of something that you cherish so much. Funeral arrangements were set for 55-year-old Martin Ames in August of 2014 after his loss to lung cancer. Martin's family had grown distant over the years, resulting in his estranged older brother, Alan, no longer visiting or keeping in touch with him. After the death of Martin, Alan made his way to the semi-detached home that once belonged to his younger brother and parents. In disbelief, Alan discovered the remains of his mother, Doris, lying in the front room of the home. Law enforcement made their way to the house in London and were able to successfully confirm the remains of Doris Ames. After extensive research, investigators concluded that the decomposed body of his mother had been in the front entrance for 10 years. Without spotting Doris in public, neighbors had simply assumed that she had passed away. However, this led to neighbors wondering why funeral arrangements were never made. Alan Ames and law enforcement were baffled and could not understand how Martin failed to report the death of his mother. Martin instead chose to let her body rot inside of the family home for a decade. Decades had passed and no one seemed to notice she was missing. 
Hedviga Golik was an elderly woman who lived on her own in a small apartment in Croatia. Neighbors reported last seeing her in 1966. However, having failed to notice Hedviga around the complex, many assumed that she had moved out without notifying anyone. Without a trace of her whereabouts, a missing persons report was filed. It would be 42 years later, in 2008, when law enforcement and landlords broke into the apartment and discovered the mummified body of Hedviga sitting on her couch. Police described the apartment as a place frozen in time as Hedviga sat down to watch her television while drinking tea. Her cup of tea was still beside her among a dusty kingdom of spiderwebs. It was a typical night out with good friends that turned into decades of grief for three families. It was November 20th, 1970 when three teenagers from Sayre, Oklahoma vanished without a trace. The teens planned an eventful evening alongside their peers. Jimmy Williams, Leah Johnson, and Thomas Rios were on their way to watch a high school football game in Elk City. However, after failing to make it to the game, students and family members grew concerned about their whereabouts. Hours turned into days and panic began to set in. A missing person report was filed shortly after members in the community began searching for the teens. All three teens were last known to have been driven by Jimmy in his 1961 Camaro that November evening. Any leads that deputies received never made a breakthrough in finding the students. Unfortunately, months escalated into years until the community and Beckham County Sheriff's Department lost track of finding the teenagers. It would be 43 years later when on September 17, 2013, Oklahoma law enforcement discovered a muddy and tarnished Camaro at the bottom of Foss Lake. DNA was picked up from the badly decomposed remains, concluding that the bodies found in the vehicle belonged to the missing students. For decades, the community speculated that the disappearances were somehow tied to narcotics. The mother of Thomas Rios passed away brokenhearted in 2010. Family members reported that she had refused to move away from the town in hopes of seeing her son return back to her one day. Vanished without a trace, but once being found, still many questions remain. Amos Shook was 44 years old when he disappeared without a trace in 1972. Amos raised his family in Caldwell County, North Carolina, and was an Air Force veteran prior to settling down. It was February 19, 1972, when the Shook family reported him missing. Amos frequently enjoyed his long drives around town in his 1968 Pontiac Catalina, and overall lived a peaceful and happy life, according to neighbors and family members. His former wife told deputies that the two had separated, which led to authorities speculating that Amos might have taken off to be with another woman. Despite what deputies assumed, Amos's only daughter, Pamela, knew that her father would have never abandoned her, leaving his disappearance a tragic disbelief. Much time had passed and the missing case went cold, leaving the family with many unanswered questions. In July of 2015, Caldwell Sheriff's deputies began searching the bottom of Lake Rodis with the help of sonar technology. Diving crews were able to locate a car 30 feet below the water surface, about 100 feet away from the shore. Upon their discovery, deputies were able to resurface a rusted and outdated vehicle. Inside of the car was a set of decomposed human remains along with personal IDs. An autopsy was performed and investigators were able to identify the body belonging to Amos Shook, the veteran who vanished 43 years prior. 
Family members were contacted immediately after discovering the body. His daughter, now grown up, demanded to reopen the case after stating he would not have left me. He was a good father. Though his family now has some form of closure, the mystery still remains. No one knows what his intentions were or how Amos ended up at the bottom of the lake. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. In a decaying family home lied a mysterious and disturbing secret that no one was ever intended to discover. It had appeared to be a regular business day when a contractor was sent out to clean out the vacant home that once belonged to Poughkeepsie residents James and Joanne Nichols on June 28, 2013. James was 82 years old when he passed away in the home from natural causes. Neighbors claimed he was a man who followed strange and obsessive habits. Living alone without his wife gave him the opportunity to overindulge in collecting useless items, resulting in a problematic hoarding. While the contractor began to sort through piles of litter and personal belongings, a gruesome discovery was made. It seemed as if an artificial wall had been placed deep within the family basement. Suspicious, the contractor pulled apart the wall and discovered a rather sizable plastic bin that inside held a large garbage bag. In utter shock, the contractor unraveled the remains of a body that had been hidden for so long that all that remained in the bag were tied up bones and a fractured skull. Police were called to the property and an investigation was immediately initiated. Dental records were able to match the remains to 55-year-old Joanne Nichols, who was reported missing by her husband James back in December of 1985. Joanne was working as a first grade teacher in Hopewell Junction, New York, prior to her disappearance just before the holidays. Though police eagerly searched for Joanne, James had insisted that his wife couldn't have been anywhere and implied that she may have been suicidal due to the loss of their son who had died of accidental drowning just two years prior to her disappearance. Joanne's autopsy concluded that the cause of her death was the result of blunt force trauma to the head, leaving James as a prime suspect in her death. After missing for 28 years, police still point to James. However, the investigation continues to stay open until justice is served for Joanne Nichols. I'd like to give a very special thank you to my good friend Matthew Santoro for helping with this episode. In the description below, there is a link to his channel. You need to check it out. He has a lot of content that will absolutely blow your mind. So once again, check the link in the description below. Be careful where you go poking around. You just might run into more than you've bargained for. 
Desperate for independence but short on cash, 26-year-old Jamie Miner found herself couch hopping after leaving her job at Perry's Steakhouse. Not long after, she began working at Trace Restaurant in downtown Austin, Texas as a hostess and her new job seemed to be going well. That is, until her shift on May 23, 2011, when Jamie's supervisors noticed she was acting a bit off. Her behavior turned from strange to downright erratic, and her manager sent her home, calling a friend to come pick her up. But before her ride arrived, Jamie had vanished. She was reported missing on June 2nd, the same day several of her belongings were found in the Norwood Tower, which sat above Perry's Steakhouse. Surveillance footage revealed Jamie's last known moments were spent walking to Perry's, possibly to meet with friends. However, upon arriving, instead of using the front entrance, she tried two locked side doors before accessing the building through the duct system on the third floor of the attached parking garage. Nearly three weeks after disappearing, police opened the air duct pathways and found Jamie's body trapped between the first and second floors on a steep incline she could neither back out of or move forward through. The duct was located in a remote part of the building, so it's likely no one heard her cries for help. Jamie's motive for crawling into the air system is unknown, though her parents reported their daughter struggled with bipolar disorder since her early 20s. Police didn't see any signs of foul play and believe her death was a horrific accident. On September 20th, 1987, a worker at the Georgia Pacific West Paper Mill noticed abnormal temperature readings in chimney number 9 of the factory's boilers. So he went to investigate, only to be met with a gruesome sight. There, atop one of the boiler pipes were charred skeletal remains. Local police in Bellingham County, Washington found that, due to the immense heat, which often reached 370 degrees Fahrenheit, any DNA evidence was destroyed. The bones were able to tell them that the victim was male and between the ages of 27 to 37 years old. Many of the bones were also broken, indicating the unidentified John Doe had fallen down the tall chimney. Reaching the chimney could only be accomplished by climbing long, multiple flights of stairs to the top of the building, so authorities were forced to consider foul play. The only clue to the body's identity was a baggage claim ticket to a Continental Airlines flight which was too charred to be traced back to a particular passenger. Since the chimney was only checked every so often, the man could have been trapped inside for days or weeks if he survived the fall. This John Doe may forever remain unidentified. Cryotherapy is the latest trend in skin and body treatment and involves standing in a chamber that exposes the body to arctic temperatures as low as negative 240 degrees Fahrenheit. The treatment only lasts a few minutes, but its alleged benefits of accelerated muscle regeneration and improved skin tone make suffering the cold seem worth it. Almost. Rejuvenice out of Las Vegas, Nevada offered several types of cryotherapy. 24-year-old Honolulu native Chelsea Aki was working at Rejuvenice in the fall of 2015 and according to friends and family was very passionate about her job. 
While closing alone on October 9th, Chelsea decided she wanted to take a quick dip in one of the deep freeze units to relax her sore muscles before heading home. The next morning, upon opening shop, Chelsea's colleagues were horrified to find her body inside of one of the chambers frozen solid, though she hadn't been frozen to death. According to the coroner's report, Chelsea died from a lack of oxygen while trapped inside a chamber full of liquid nitrogen. Her death had likely been swift, but this came as little consolation to her family. Rejuvenize Spa, along with another cryotherapy treatment center, were closed following Chelsea's death, and skepticism about the benefits and safety of cryotherapy is still on the rise, even years later. They say college changes you as a person, but when 22-year-old Melissa Joy Dietzel came back from studying at Brigham Young University, it was obvious to her parents that the changes were alarmingly negative. Melissa wasn't sleeping and she spoke frantically, even in normal conversation. She assured them it was just a result of the busy college workload, but her parents suspected she was fighting an unspoken mental illness. In the fall of 2011, she jetted off to Australia with a six-month visa to work as a live-in nanny. However, not long after arriving, Melissa was let go after she started getting upset that she was hearing voices in her head. The family assumed she would return to the United States, but Melissa missed her flight and was nowhere to be found, prompting her family to report her missing. Then, in January 2012, in the Randwick suburb of Sydney, neighbors complained of a foul odor emanating from a nearby oak tree. Thinking it was a deceased animal, a tree specialist arrived on scene and was shocked to find, instead of a creature, the deceased body of Melissa in the branches, 30 feet above the ground. Authorities confirmed her identity from her dental records and clothing and estimated she'd been in the tree for nearly two weeks before she was discovered. While authorities aren't sure how Melissa came to be in the tree, they treated her death as a suicide, a word her family was all too familiar with. The Dietzels had lost Melissa's brother Jared to suicide at the age of 24 following a bipolar disorder diagnosis. Melissa's parents believe she too was suffering from the onset of bipolar disorder and had tragically succumbed to the same struggle as her brother. In January 2016, within the Enugu state of Nigeria, workers were laying the foundation for a new community church. The project was allegedly overseen by a man who claimed to be a servant of God. However, some of the crew heard whispers of nefarious, deadly acts involved with the construction of the church and wondered if their boss was a wolf in sheep's clothing. One of the men working at the site heard rumors that dead bodies had been laid into the foundation and he was able to tip off local authorities before the concrete was poured. Several hired laborers tore into the ground and made a grim discovery. Three bodies lined up in shallow graves. After a more thorough investigation, five additional human skeletons were located on site. The local Tricycle Riders Association, who offered public transportation, identified the bodies as three of their own drivers. The men had left their stations on a recent Saturday night and were never heard from again. In March of 2016, authorities arrested a man they believed was responsible for building the so-called church. There were rumors he was not a man of God at all, but a ritualist who had commissioned the workers to bury the bodies of the men. 
One might expect to find human waste at a sewer plant, but the workers at a plant in Carson, California were horrified when they went to investigate a plugged line on October 26, 2013, and found the severed legs, feet, and pelvis of a woman's body blocking the way. Investigators were called to the scene and eventually located another arm days later, but the torso, along with the head and remaining limb, were still missing. Then, on October 28th, two days later, another clog appeared at a different sewage treatment plant in Industry, California, over 30 miles away from Carson. Workers found a torso and head in the remaining arm clogging their systems, and police knew they'd found the rest of the body. Both the sewage plants were connected by the same lines, and investigators believe that's how the remains ended up in different locations so far away from one another. DNA tests positively identified the body as 27-year-old Aaron Lynn Cruz, who was last seen on October 23rd of that year. While the body's dismemberment happened post-mortem as a result of being pushed through the pumps in the waste systems, police suspect Aaron might have been killed and dumped in a manhole. As of now, though, no arrests have been made in connection with her disappearance or subsequent death. In December of 2008, 31-year-old Raven Joy Campbell found herself in a new living situation, but not an unfavorable one. She moved into the Harbor Hills Public Housing Complex in Lomita, California with her friends Nicole and Randolph Garbett, along with Nicole's boyfriend. But not even six months after moving in, Raven suddenly vanished. Family found it suspicious that Raven's purse was left behind as she was very particular about always having it slung over her shoulder. But authorities had no leads and the case soon went cold. Seven years later, an anonymous caller contacted the Campbell family and told them that Raven might be buried within a wall inside the closet of the apartment complex, the same spot where neighbors had complained of a foul smell for years. Authorities brought cadaver dogs to sniff out the area in question, and they received a positive hit. Tearing into the wall, they uncovered the remains of Raven Campbell. The autopsy labeled Raven's death as a homicide. She'd suffered a fatal blow to the head from a hammer. Her ex-roommate Randolph was arrested in February of 2016 and is charged with murder. Further details have yet to be released. Nothing about the morning of August 8, 1886 seemed strange to Edward Turrell as he walked his dog through the Parker Farm District in Wallingford, Connecticut. That is, until his dog sniffed at a large shoebox concealed beneath the brush. The box measured 30 inches by 12 inches, and the label said it contained shoes. But Edward caught the stench of rot at the same time his dog began whining, and he sensed something wasn't right. Edward and a neighbor opened the box, pushing the swaths of tar paper out of the way. Inside was the dismembered torso of a man. Decomposition told investigators he had only been dead for five to ten days beforehand and had died from arsenic poisoning. A month later, a farmer stumbled across the body's missing arms and legs, which were also wrapped in tar paper. Still, police had no clues as to the identity of the victim nor the circumstances of his murder. Rumors in the community spread like wildfire, with many believing Albert J. Cooley was the victim, a man who disappeared after stealing $1,500 from local slaughterhouses. However, Albert was later found alive. 
Authorities were able to track the shoebox to the Fall River Shoe Factory in Chicago. There, they learned an unidentified man bought that particular shoebox, but was never seen again. The body's head was never located, and everything about the homicide, including the victim and the murderer, remain a mystery to this day. In the city of Xi'an, China, lived a 43-year-old single woman residing alone on the 15th floor of her apartment complex. She mostly kept to herself and wasn't in frequent contact with her family, which is why no one noticed amidst the New Year's celebration that she had disappeared and wasn't seen or heard from for over a month. Repairmen were called to service the elevator in the apartment complex, which had been malfunctioning. Before cutting the power to the elevator, they hollered inside to be sure the lift was empty, without opening the doors. When they heard no reply, they assumed all was clear and cut the power. No one returned to finish repairs for 30 days. In March, when maintenance returned, they opened the elevator to find the deceased body of the missing woman, who'd been trapped inside for over a month, and had mangled her hands in her apparent attempts to force the doors open. While initial reports claim she starved to death, it's believed she more than likely succumbed to dehydration first. There were reports the woman suffered from an unnamed mental illness, but her mental state mattered little to police, who were concerned with the gross negligence of the maintenance men. This case was treated as involuntary manslaughter, and several people were taken into custody for the woman's death. On January 10th, 2013, 17-year-old Kendrick Johnson spent the first half of his day at Valdosta High School in Georgia attending classes as normal. However, when he missed a basketball game in the evening and never came home, his mother reported him missing. But she wouldn't have to wait long to find out the awful fate Kendrick suffered. The next day, three students found his body trapped inside a rolled-up, upright wrestling mat stored behind the bleachers in the school's gymnasium. Along with blood and vomit inside the mat were two pairs of shoes. Kendrick's friends said he often stored things in the mats to avoid paying locker fees, and police believe he went to retrieve his shoes, only to accidentally find himself trapped. The coroner labeled his cause of death as positional asphyxia and said he'd likely been upside down for 21 hours. All this led investigators to conclude Kendrick's death was a tragic accident. However, his parents, Kenneth and Jacqueline, did not buy this theory and had their son's body exhumed for re-examination by a private pathologist. The second autopsy concluded Kendrick had perished from blunt force trauma to the side of the neck, cited by a bruise found there. The Johnson family was convinced two fellow classmates, Brian and Brandon Bell, were responsible for their son's death. But both brothers had alibis and claimed they'd been friends with Kendrick and therefore had no reason to hurt him. The family brought a lawsuit against the Bells and the investigating parties, believing law enforcement was involved in a murder cover-up. The lawsuit was eventually dropped, but the Bell family filed a countersuit for the defamation they'd faced from the Johnsons via social media. As of June 2016, the United States Department of Justice said there would be no criminal charges filed in relation to Kendrick Johnson. But whether or not his death was an accident or homicide, it certainly was tragic and has very clearly left a scar on his grieving family, who says they only wanted justice for their son. 
Thank you for listening. Be sure to follow the Seriously Strange podcast so you don't miss what we've got in store for you. Watch the shadows and stay alive out there. Thanks to all of you for your support. The Seriously Strange podcast is made possible due in part to contributions made by our listeners like you. So if you would like to keep the Seriously Strange podcast online and accessible, please consider pressing the link that says support the show in the description of any podcast episode. You can then choose your preferred way to donate and send a contribution our way because we can't do this without our listeners support. If you decide to contribute, it's tremendously appreciated and we thank you so much. We read every single message included with each contribution, so feel free to include your comments or even make a request for a future topic. Thanks for listening. We've got a lot more in store for you. Take care and enjoy your next episode.